Welcome to the Mindful Surfer podcast with myself, Will Foster, and my co-host, Liam Morgan. Liam, what's the news? The news is, it's been bonfire night here in the UK, hasn't it? Where we celebrate a guy who tried to blow up Parliament. Well, some people celebrate. <laughs> some people are, um, you know, that's the theme of it though, right? So yes. yeah, we've, that's the news. We've had bonfire night. People mm-hmm. have been running around the area setting fire to things. Yeah. Fireworks, bonfires. In fact, in our neighbouring village of Ottery, they carry around a burning barrel. Yes. Just for fun. I know. That's the sort of shit we get up to around here. That's the sort of shit we have, because it's enough to keep us entertained while it's flat. Yeah. What should we do? Let's set fire to things! <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good point. But there's something so alluring about fire. Caveman stuff, isn't it? It goes right back into your primal instincts. I think that's obviously also, if you relate it to surfing, you know, what draws us in as well. This primal connection to your life because when you're in the midst of a situation where there's inherent danger in nature because you've just got you know the sea you're in you're not we're not supposed to be in the sea when that's there makes you feel alive it's a wonderful thing but no we have had a flat spell although it's been broken up by little goes on surf skates yeah and look the flat spell we talk about this a lot right now don't we that Especially for me, a flat spell used to be months and months and months before, mm. you know. And now, we were surfing last Sunday, I think it was, wasn't it? At time of recording this now on a Sunday. Yeah, what, seven days? Seven days. That's Although I had a little surf in the week, it was not a great surf, but I got to really try out my new board a bit more, because mm-hmm. it was a bit punchier. It was just crazy, crazy wind, and it was pretty huge in the end. Got out there, and it was like mm, three to five, more like kind of six to ten. And there were some big, big sets. But it was cool. I got a couple where I got to try out the board. It was really interesting because it's kind of, it's trying to get used to something that's got a lot less literage than I've been used to on my Mushburger board, my puddle jumper. It's a good sort of seven litre drop. And it's like, it's weird because I've been on boards that are like 37 litres before. That, that loop short that I sold you mm-hmm. is 38 litres, only one litre more. But I've also been on the 6.0 version of that mm-hmm. one and it worked really well. I've been on a lot, a lot of boards around that literage. Except with the Rocket Wide, what's interesting is they've sort of hidden the volume. It's really interesting. The nose is reasonably narrow and quite rocket. Mm-hmm. And then they've pushed in this volume into the chest. So when you're paddling it around, you feel like, God, this is like a toothpick. I feel this is really, really small. It's quite off-putting. Certainly in, when you're in big surf, you like, want to be feeling like confident, like you're laying on mm-hmm. a proper board and you can get around. As soon as you paddle for a wave... Bang, you're on it. It's really, really weird. It's, I think it's the epoxy. There's the spine tech yeah. in it. And it's like I was paddling for these sort of bombs. I didn't think I was going to catch them. It was like I was up before I thought I'd be up. It was very, very peculiar. And then when I was doing turns, I thought, oh, no, that's a nothing section. I'll just try and put a turn in anyway. And then the board whipped round through the turn and sort of very exciting. It's an exciting board, that. Oh, really exciting. It's, it's, getting, it it's, it's getting me like, ooh, ooh. It reminds me, so you know you were saying, in reference to this Luke Short board that Liam loves, it's a board that I loved for a while as well and still love, but it was becoming surplus to requirements because I had my short board, I had my groveler, and it's the board that sits between your short board and your groveler. It's, it's these boards that we love, these high-performance fishes, we call them. Yeah. Slightly wider outlines, slightly thicker, but not huge and bulky. They're really high-performance still, but they will get you through flat sections in the way. And it's called a Luke Short 20. And it is a a very old school design. It's a very 80s theme where you've got this kind of reasonably narrow nose, but very, very flat um, rocker. I think it's my favourite board. Yeah. And I love the puddle. 
But there's something, when that Luke Shaw meets the right wave, it's just an epic board to be mm. on. It flies at Saunton. You know, for example, we like, you know, just a lazy day at Saunton. It's got something in it that just is, oh, I love it. Luke Shaw makes some really good boards. It's really good. And the thing with, with flat rocket boards is they give you a lot of forgiveness yeah. on your turn. As you turn a flat rocket board, as long as the wave's not too powerful, it takes you through the turn, all the way through. Mm. And it's really, really, really cool. Where they get held up and come short is when they start to pearl yeah. off the bottom on steeper takeoffs, on steeper ways. So as soon as they get on steep stuff, that one I've had that Luke Short on yeah. some steeper days at Croyd and I never took it abroad, but I've had it on some steeper days, bigger days. It starts to get a bit twitchy yeah. and it feels a bit like it wants to skid out. But on a flat face way, it's a beautiful, beautiful board. Yeah. But I think you would really like the rocket wide Well, I've, on a curvier wave. I think you would. We were talking about this the other day when we, when we had that sort of surf oh, a couple of months ago now, which was great fun up on the North Coast. I rode the Luke Short, but there were a few waves on there that I said, if I could have exactly that board with just a little bit of a lifted rocker, it would be epic. Which maybe is you're getting out of that rocket wide. The rocket wide, it feels very, very similar literage as the Luke Short 20. But it's just got more rocker. Mm-hmm. Tiny bit more of a pulled-in nose, yeah. too. I think they've added a bit of volume into the chest, yeah. which is where it's hidden. It's really bizarre. When you pick up the rocket wide, I mean, I held it and went, ooh, am I making a mistake with this? But so far already, I've noticed that it's got this incredible pivot maneuverability. It's just that with any board like that, whenever you're thinking of dropping to a board that's smaller or bigger, just know that something's going to have to adapt. Yeah, You're going to, if you go into a bigger board, which people are really into right now, they're really into mid-lengths. There's mid-lengths have never been more popular. And people watch Torrin Martin and go, yeah, yeah, I'm going to surf like Torrin. Yeah. Well, yeah, Torrin gets to surf six-foot barreling waves, and firstly. And he's Torrin Martin. And he's Torrin Martin, <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, I want to get that. I want to get that football that, that um, you know, that, that, Mo, uses. that Mo Salah uses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here you go. Oh, fuck. It's humbling. But the thing is, is that obviously there's, there is some wisdom in mid-lengths because they get you in really early. Yeah. It makes it very relaxing, etc. But what a lot of people do is they go, great, mid-lengths. You're going to have to adapt. You can't then bring all your habits that you've had on your old, older short body vibes yeah. and go straight to a mid-length and expect to get on with it immediately. Although you might. I mean, it depends how skilled you are. But you have to adapt your surfing where you sort of surf more gently and with flow and you stand near the middle of the board and you mm-hmm. turn without fully rotating your whole body back, but you turn sort of more with the ankles and the feet and you let the ball kind of just glide through it. Equally, if you're coming from long boards and foamies down into smaller boards, you're going to notice very, very quickly that that thing is just going to stop <laughs> if you don't work your rails. It's one of the things I notice the most about people in that beginnery towards intermediate bit is they don't know the, the impact of not being on rail. So if your ball goes flat on a wave, you better be going really, really fast because mm. otherwise it's just going to slow down and stop. So you want to be bringing it back to the foam, back to the foam, back to the foam, all off the top of the foam, trying to hit foam climbs and that kind of thing. And then basically an up and down motion, which is rail, rail. If you don't, then you will, yeah, you'll, you'll slow down. But I think it's um, the thing I've noticed the most about surfers when it comes to boards is that those who have the biggest egos seem to be on the equipment that's the least appropriate mm-hmm. to There's... their ability. And I see it the Bristol Wave, interestingly. The Bristol Wave's a really interesting one for that. I see people riding a lot of boards that just are a brand and it's the right kind of board for what the marketing hyped up yeah. for them. And then you see them surf and it's really not, they just haven't learnt how to surf really, which is kind of coming over the shoulder and bringing the ball back and getting it on rail. And yeah, but shit, listen, if they're having a good time, I mean, we've said this so many times, what the fuck does it matter? I know. If someone's having a good time, they're having a good time. What the heck? 
That's a metaphor for life, isn't it? I mean, we're predisposed to want the cool stuff and the, the stuff that makes our ego feel good. It's like, whoa, give me that Gibson Les Paul guitar. You can't play it. Nobody looks cool. <laughs> and listen, if that makes someone happy, what the heck? Yeah, that's what it. What the heck? If it looks good in an Instagram photograph. Hell yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just judgment. And surfers are so, so judgmental yeah. of each other. It really needn't be the case. Now, I think if someone wants to then ask a coach, mm. look, can you look at my surfing? Can you then look at my quiver and give me some tips? I think that's obviously a very, very different thing. I think they, they offer that advice and whatever. But throwing judgments at surfers' ways is... um. Well, it's just what humans do, but it's also a thing where you're not accounting for the fact that Jane or Joe might be having the time of their life precisely pumping the front foot through sections and whatever it might be and feeling like on top of the world and whatever. On this front, we're chatting with equipment in mind. Um, Going back to that surf skate thing, I've got to mention a a guy, a lovely, lovely bloke who lives near me called Dan, who was out with his kid last night on the road surfing a Yao Mm -hmm. surf skate. And I've ridden now, I've ridden a, I had a carver. With the CX trucks, I think. I've ridden a smooth star now, yeah, a slide, and oh no, wait a set of two bare feet and a yow. Now, let me mention the worst first. I rode a two bare feet, cheap as chips mm. board at the Bristol Wave. That was Jim Edmondson's. Yeah. A fan of the show, Jim, if you're listening. I hope you're having a great time in Hawaii. Am I jealous? Just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> He's over there right now. And get a better surf skate. <laughs> yeah, quite. This isn't his go-to surf skate. It's yeah. the one I think he said he keeps just for the Bristol wave to just get to and from the thing. And I found when I got on that, whoa, whoa, whoa. I couldn't work out what it was trying to do. It's too tight, the trucks. Something like that. Because my youngest has got a two bare feet one. He doesn't, ah. he doesn't really surf skate. I've used it too. And it is, it, what, they're 20 odd quid. So entry level, great. But it doesn't do the things that you expect a surf skate to do. Nah. Because it just is too stiff. It's weird. And you can't loosen it safely either. At the, well, okay. So it is a bit weird. So I used that and I, yeah, I'm glad you said it because I thought, shit, I'm, I'm re- <laughs> I really am getting worse and worse and worse at surfing and skating and surfing. I'm like, oh my God. And then for me, then it's Carver. Yeah. It's a very, very solid board. You're obviously going to get a great board out of a Carver. Good for bowls, good for flats, good for this, good for that. But it was when I went on a slide and you've got a slide. Hey, mate, I've got two you've, slides in our house. You've got two slides. That's Liam's how I roll. got a slide quiver. So check out slides online. And I, for me, if you're trying to become a power surfer, a rail surfer, when you want to do big cutbacks and gouge that rail. Yeah, just like me. Just like Liam. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you say that. You say that, but you're way, way, way more of a rail surfer than you once were. Jeez. Yeah. And then I had to go on the Yao, and the Yao is a good mix of all, all of those mixed together. So the Yao's a real good around it, but yeah. I think the slide is the one that's got the most power yes. in it. I want to say one thing about buying boards and kit and parents out there whichever flavour parent you are, you'll probably appreciate this if you're into something, but particularly when it comes to surfing and skating's in there as well. I'm not a technically very good skater. I'm not a very good skater. Is when you've got kids, you can buy stuff that you want for your kids. So you look great and like a great father or mother or what, you know, benevolence is, is up there. But really, if you're honest with yourself, a lot of it's for you. <laughs> That's why I've got so many kids' boards, foamies. That's how I got into foamies, because it was an easy one to say, hey, listen, these are a safe board for these kids to surf. And then I start surfing them. I'm like, holy shit, these are amazing. Same with the slide. Great, great excuse. Now we're continuing with this equipment chat. How have you found foamies? Do anyone listen to this? Foamies are big in the market now. Yeah. How have you found them? Right. Let's set aside the eco-credentials of foamies or whatever. That's a different debate for a different day. I found them immensely good fun, first and foremost. 
And they're incredibly forgiving. I think from the very beginning of the surfer's journey, right all the way through to, I mean, look at Jamie O'Brien. We just mentioned Jamie there, surfing pipeline on a nine-foot foam log. That is unusual, <laughs> and only somebody like Freak G- talent. Only somebody like Jamie O'Brien can do it. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Ben Gravy, who really has kind of created an even bigger foamy revolution, where he's out to have the most fun. And to your point earlier, Will, about sort of, you know, have you got a board that makes you look cool, or have you got a board that makes you feel good? I think if you're in that sort of beginner to even intermediate, a foamy will make you actually feel great, because you'll catch a lot of stuff. There's a lot of volume in there. The rail game's different because, you know, it's quite a thick rail on those boards. Mm. So sometimes they are very flat surfing board, but they skip along very quickly, especially in Mushburger waves. But as you become more competent, actually the board can be quite interesting. I mean, some of them are just rippers. And, and there's a sort of hybrid now, isn't there, with almost like a foam top and a performance bottom. So you can sort of have a happy medium. For me, they revolutionized my surfing because, you know, I was in this place where, for regular listeners surfing for 20 years but mainly as a down the line surfer but i would get boards that would look cool and they sort of did the job you know and i had everything from what was the mid-length was called a minimal back there and back in the day before the middle that's they are just minimals aren't they minimal performance (laughs) minimal but you know people like graham bunt were making performance mid-lengths you know 20 30 years ago and then some really really interesting sort of um custom boards as well but the foamy technology in the last sort of two or three years it's just been so good for me that it's injected fun and actually it's, it's allowed me to surf and Ben Gravis puts this out really, really well. It allows you to surf things that you wouldn't usually surf if you just were, had your shortboard in the car. So if you've got a foamy, even if it's a 5.5 five to 5.10 high volume foamy, you can surf shore breaks, you can surf onto rocks, you can surf, you know, it allows you to do things as well as you progress that you wouldn't do as a, you know, early intermediate surfer for me on an epoxy board that costs 700 quid, you know. It covers so many bases, and I would advise anybody, actually, who's starting out or wants to go straight to those first and get a little bit of feel for popping up, taking Mm. off, and all that sort of thing on a foamy. And then continue to watch all of the YouTube and the video tutorials and sign up to Ombi and all those things, because then actually you can start to see where to surf. I'm sure Clayton would disagree with me and say, well, you get straight onto rail straight away. But I think if you're mucking around and you're a summertime surfer, get on a foamy. And finally, the final one, particularly in reference to we've talked about before, busy lineups. If you aren't in full control of a board, there's an argument to say that you should <laughs> have a foamy anyway, you know, because that's way better for everybody else around you. I'd rather be hit in the face by a catch surf than I mm. would by a, you know, Hardwood. an Almeric flyer. <laughs> Correct. I have found the longevity of them not amazing. Really? From what I've, yeah, from what I've seen, they kind of fill up and get quite heavy. Isn't your bomber... Yeah, the bomber is a little bit, but that's, heavy. But your Mick hasn't. But the bomber's a different story because the kids have sandboarded that on every June going across. Oh, the, I see. Across the whole country. Oh, so that would have had a much more rough ride so than just the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fine. Yeah, yeah, fine. One thing I noticed with the bomber was it was this is the soft tech bomber. Yes. Great board. Again. Really good board. Really good fun. But I found that when I've gone foamies, I find them difficult. Yeah. Because I think I'm used to my my longboard's really a hard board. It's yeah. got a soft top. It surfs like a hardboard. It's got like a sort of heavy, normal board feel to it. Yeah, yeah. And then I've just ridden glass boards other than that. And I've had an okay time. But like you said, I, I think it's because it's hard to get on rail, a foamy. I actually felt like it was really, really good for catching waves, yeah. but hard to get on rail. And so what I can imagine is if you can become an on-rail surfer, and listen, you do. You get your mick really on rail. If you can become an on-rail surfer on a foamy like Liam Morgan, put you in the same category as Ben Gravy and 
Jamie O'Brien, obviously. Correct. You've seen Liam Surf, you'll agree. And, <laughs> and it's to say that it would be really good for your rail surfing. Because if you could do it on a foamy, if you could do a rails cutback on a foamy, throw some spray, you get on your normal board with glass that sinks in that rail, that performance rail, Good training tool. I think there is an element of that, and I'd love a, a kind of experienced surfer to sort of um, either say, don't be stupid, Liam, or actually you're right, is that sometimes this foamy surfing for me has been like training with a weight vest on. And then when you take it off, you feel light and fast and furious. And, and obviously some things you can learn very bad habits on a foamy because they're very forgiving on sort of speed on flat sections of a wave. But... If you sort of start to apply, you know, in all honesty, I think it was the Mick Fanning foamy that allowed me to learn how to generate speed down the line in terms of a like a real pumping motion. Whereas I couldn't quite grasp that first on some of my other boards. So then when I went back onto the more performance custom boards that we've got, I felt that my surfing had progressed. But because of the time and hours I put into the foamy. And interestingly, one thing I used to say about that was, I can't turn. You know, you, you remember, I was like, oh, this board, it, it's a great board, but it doesn't turn. And then I was like, actually, it's not the board that doesn't turn, it's me. So if uh, I can work something out with this, because I'm surfing it all the time, if I can work it out, if I can get this to move around, I'm going to be able to get my, what is now a puddle jumper for my go-to mushburger waves, I can get that to move around a little bit more as well. That's worked really well for my surf. It's really good. One thing that's challenging where we live when it comes to equipment is getting out of the habit of just taking that board mm -hmm. because it's just so. Like when I see that they're surfing, I just puddle jump. You know, puddle jumper, 6-1, 45 liters, absolute boat, but boy, can it spin a turn. Yeah. And it's a little ripper. And it's been my favorite board of all time. And it probably will be forever. Like it's mm -hmm. just, it's pure smile on your face stuff like it just you're off you have speed which is the hardest thing to get in surfing especially where we live you get incredible speed you speed through turns as you do a turn you don't lose speed it increase like if it's just a little rocket machine of speed except when you get the surf we had last weekend my habit of okay just that board it would have been ideal territory for rocket wide yeah there's footage of me surfing a wave and i don't surf it amazingly i sort of really was a bit hard on myself with how i surfed it but hey ho I was looking at it through that critical eye, that sort of Clayton eye of how am I actually putting this on rail or not on rail, etc. Is that basically the surf we had was like where we are, we even if it's getting quite serious, it'll only ever really be about head high. Like even on those real monstrous days of the Easterlies. And if you actually look at the waves, because they're so fat, by the time you're actually on the speed yeah. bowl, the speed bowl is about chest head high. Fair enough, sometimes when we take off. It can look quite big, like four feet, three it's, feet overhead. It's a very challenging takeoff. Takeoff's really, really hard because it doesn't let you on the way, but you have to really work at that. But the thing is, is that when I look at that footage, I was like, wow, what a great day for a step down in liters yeah. and really get up the wave, yeah. not just get across the wave because puddle jumpers get you down and across the wave True. and then get you back to the foam. Yeah. That's really what they do. They don't get you going up the wave yeah. unless you're <laughs> really good. And I'm not that good. So as surfers, it's trying to remain mindful of the habits that we can get ourselves into. And, and I think sometimes, I mean, listen, we've done this, mm. is take two boards to the beach with you. Mm. It's quite a nice trick that. And it can look a bit kooky, but what the fuck? Just leave one on the beach that is then there. If you, after a while, find yourself going, actually, whew, this is punchier, gnarlier, bigger than I thought it'd be. I can jump on my shoreboard or vice versa. Like yeah. maybe you start on your shoreboard yeah. and have your foamy on the beach and you go, oh, actually, no, I'm really struggling here. Yeah. Let's just... Yeah, yeah. If there was an invention... Where you could be sat in the ocean. Here we go. And you could just click your finger and be on that board. Yeah. At that certain moment. Oh, 
you'd be a rich man. Well, you, you would be a rich man to have it, it as well. And you'd be a rich man to have it. Thank you very much. I used to have that habit way more than I do today. And even so, even when we had that pumping stuff, my mind wasn't on other boards at all. I just went, look, puddle, let's do it. Let's go for it. But I used to years ago or even last year, even more was, oh, I could be on this. Yeah. Oh, I could be on that. And, it's, <laughs> and it takes you out of the moment. I know. It it's, does. It does. It does. It does. counter mindfulness. It, it so is. But it's interesting with that because it is a, around kind of maximizing your flow experience at all times. Isn't yes. It? And getting out of the session what you want to do. And, you know, as much as this is about mindfulness, it's also about progression of surfing. And surfing is addictive in that sense that you want to, well, certainly for us, you know, you kind of want to improve and try things. And from those mistakes that inevitably you will make, you want to kind of get better than you were last week. And sometimes you can only do that by trying out different boards and fin setups and different systems and all that sort of thing. But you're right to have a board caddy that sits out. It's not like these floating docks, right? You see them where you could just park somebody out there and they've got a selection of different boards. And instead of having to paddle back in and paddle back out, because usually if we've got surf... The paddle out's hard, isn't it? So if you could just be out there and somebody goes, oh, why don't you have a go on this one? I've just seen how you surf that one. Here is a, I don't know, a lost rocket redux or something, or the round nose fish, or here's a, you know, performance Channel Islands job. Or even fins. Fins make a huge, huge difference to a surfboard. Like literally it's not the same board. It's crazy what fins mm. do. So that on that, even on that front, and this is what makes surfing so alluring and so challenging all at once. Yeah. Because in other sports, you'll buy the surf, uh, the golf coach, and he's got the tight list. He's got the well, give me other yeah. brands, the Nike. I don't yeah. know. I don't know any golf don't, brands. Uh, I don't play Dunlop, uh, Ping, Ping. Thank you. Yeah. He's got all these different clubs, all these different drivers. Right, try this one. Bang. Right. Okay. In that case, try this one. Bang. Surfing, nah, 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 nah. You ain't going to have that. You ain't going to get that. So the journey of a surfer, comparatively to other sports, can be much, much slower. Because you only get how many moments? Even in a really good session, Mm. you might get only a handful of moments to really try your kit, Mm. see what it's like, etc. This is where it's also so alluring and so marvellous and joyful and wonderful as well. Because when things come together, boy, oh boy, is it satisfying. And that's what brings us back so often, isn't it? You work on yourself, you work on your equipment, you work on your fitness, all these things. And when you get those special moments, it boys, it's special. Because, geez, take anything. If you just ate chocolate all the time, what would chocolate be then? It would just be sweet and nutty and, well, okay, whatever. You just, it all becomes dulled down. But if you have it once a week or you have it every now and then. Scarcity allows something to become magically mystical and your appreciation of it when you get there is so much higher than if it was every day. Oh, every moment. And the same thing. So it's variety and scarcity combined makes for something really, really stunning. 100%. Hey, hope you're enjoying the show. If you connect with what we do here at The Mindful Surfer, why not share it with your friends? Or go on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Because the more ratings we have, the more likely it is Liam and I can come back week after week and keep building this community of mindful surfers. Now, let's get back to the show. Moving on, segment number two. The Mindful Surfer, a couple of moments just to check in with the breathing. Calm the body, calm the mind. So take a deep breath in through the nose. And then breathe out. And then breathe in. And breathe out. And breathe in. And breathe out. 
Just really notice the air going on in this next one. And then as the air goes out, keep your focus on it again. And then one more breath, breathe in. And again, just notice that air going out, last breath. Good work guys, very, very good. One area that mindfulness is really, really powerful is in how you manage your cravings of the things that you know are enjoyable, but can hold you back from getting to the next level in your surfing. And it's to say that when you get those cravings and it might be uh, alcohol, might be sugar, whatever it might be for you, crisps, stuff that takes you towards that joy. Yes. But long-term, you know, it's weight gain, it's sore joints, it's Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. It's how do you remain mindful in those moments? That's the key. It's like cravings and that tooth, that mouthfeel for let's say chocolate that's in the fridge or whatever is a feeling. It only takes a really conscious moment to notice that it is a feeling. And like all feelings, as a beginning, a middle, and an end. If you can sit to the end, mm-hmm. it's gone. And there's you sat there, a couple of pounds leaner, a couple of points healthier, a few markers higher in energy, all for that night and the next day. And the next day might be the day that you get the wave of your life. Because I truly believe that the wave of your life is coming and is more likely to come, should I say, the better that you take care of your health. I truly, truly believe that because I think health is linked in with vibe, but I also think health is linked in with performance. If you combine performance, and that's how you are when you bend, twist, move, snap, etc. You combine that with your vibe, that the healthier you are, the higher your vibe, the higher your vibe, the more likely you are to score that mysterious way that just came at totally. you and didn't go to anyone else. It just came to you and bang, and you had this amazing wave. So I think that health plays a huge role in your surfing life. Mm-hmm. So mindfulness has a huge part to play in that because although beers are fun, although chocolate's fun, pizza, crisps, making it fun more than just every now and then and being really honest with yourself in that way, because we all know really if we're starting to take the piss, you'll also better look at it this way. Like I can look at my surfing life for the last five years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever, but more in the last five because I've been more focused than ever. And I can look at those five years and I can look at my surfs and I can say, without doubt whatsoever, the better I've taken care of my conditioning, my sleep, my health, the more of those lifetime type waves I've had. And the less I've taken care of it, the less I've had. It's like absolutely linked. Yeah. So it's being able to observe your cravings. And they always come up more. This is the thing with cravings. And I want to hear your thoughts on cravings. Is um, when we're tired, when we're run down and we've been working hard. Yeah. Oh, I deserve it. It's that kind of, oh, go on, let yourself have a bit of, ah, Shortcut stuff. De-stress. Let have a bit of... Ah, oh, and I get that. I do. I massively mm. do. How do you find that, dude? How do you manage your cravings and your diet? There's, there's two things on this that actually yeah, resonate massively with me in terms of how that is applied to my last two or three years of surfing, you know. Making the list is, no, I'm not getting any younger, but I'm certainly, in the last two or three years, my surf fitness is probably better than it's ever been. And as a consequence of that my surfing is probably better than it's ever been. And that's relative. You might look at that and go, fucking hell, he was shit to start with. That's funny for you, yeah, yeah. But it's one of those where you have to really think about, again, it's a theme that comes up time and time again, you know, who are you getting better against? Who are you comparing yourself to? Well, you're comparing yourself to the person that you were yesterday. If you can sort of hack those things that do help you gain 
not just physically, but also kind of spiritually and sort of mentally as well. So there's a stress element in that as well when it comes to cravings. So things that give you a short-term release, but actually long-term, they start to induce even more kind of whatever you want to think about stress, anxiety, born out of sometimes the fact that you're not confronting the actual demon head-on, which might be that you're not actually as fit as you need to be to surf the way you want to surf or as fit as you used to be to surf the way you want to surf. So those cravings come into that insofar as they are, you know, little teasers or little golden apples that are rolled in front of you to distract you from whatever path you're on to say, hey, I'm going to get to that place there. And I know it's not the end point, but it's going to be better than where I am today because I want to do X, Y, and Z. And it could be surf better, play with your kids for longer, do the things that you want to do as a human being in other areas of your life. But it's only in having discipline, isn't it? Because there has to be, to an extent, a degree of suffering in order to get to the other side of flow. But it doesn't mean that because this is not a sort of tree-hugging, scented candle kind of show, that we don't succumb to vices because we're human beings. You're right, sometimes that craving is a release of something that it gives you. So, you know, particularly me, I mean, my cravings tend to revolve around salty snacks and beer. That's just a fact. Surfing's a craving, but it's a sort of healthier one when you get the balance right. But like any craving, that can tip into anarchy and, and, and chaos as well. So really, I think it's the ultimate line you walk, again, is between managing those things and enjoying life, because why not? You know, it's a short old ride, this one. But also realizing that there's things you can do if you're on a journey to do something like surf better, that's going to help you out. But it might not be a comfortable choice. And in fact, I think that's where most people fall down, me included in the past, is that you take these shortcuts, but those shortcuts don't lead to very long-term gains. They lead to short-term sort of satisfaction. And to make those long-term gains, you have to sort of cut things out that you may otherwise enjoy. That comes back to personal choice, but also it's personal discipline as well, isn't it? To say, I'm prepared to forego those things today for this reason. But it's an incredibly hard thing to do as a human being because we're predisposed mm. to lack willpower. Mm. I think it's that whole temptation thing, isn't it? So, it's so almost true. biblical. You know? I know. There was a very famous study done I can't remember what decade, but it's uh, called the marshmallow test. Have you? Yes, yeah. It's a very, very famous one. Mm. And that was given to these kids and then they, they gave them two marshmallows in a room or a marshmallow. I can't remember yeah. what it was, but it basically the, the premise was that if they ate one of the marshmallows, not two, they would get another one yeah. an hour's time yeah. or I can't remember. Or a bag of marshmallows. Something, something, something. And those in the end, because then they monitored them over 30 years or whatever it was, 50 years to see what their lives were like. And yeah, there was a correlation between those who were willing to delay gratification with happiness. They were happier overall. It's funny because you sort of have people, and I've had this a lot of my life, where people go, oh, just have some fun. Don't you just miss having a croissant? Or why don't you just have a drink? And I've had it my whole life. And when you have high, high wellness and you realize it's the most precious thing on this planet, there's nothing that could be more joyful than feeling inside like you want to be you and you love being inside your body that is you look around and see how little people want to be inside their body inside mm. their mind inside their life whatever it might be for the sake of like two minutes of joy five minutes here there whatever it might be for me it doesn't make any sense whatsoever and i'm one of the happiest people i know so it's like it's just being able to kind of have people have their view and just yeah cool thank you yeah cool i think i'll carry on anyway it's actually one of the biggest challenges facing humans is other people when it comes to dietary and lifestyle choices in this way, because you do have people from your past that want to keep you how they've always known you. 
Yeah. And that in particular was with drink and alcohol. Like if you did drink more with certain friends and they had you down as that person, I've had that. Like I used to be an absolute party animal, loved it. And they've got that memory of you like that. And that's not what I do now at all. No. And yet when you do bump into those certain friends, they're oh, come on, come on. And they're like, nah, it's just not me anymore. But it takes a bit of strength because you, you know, you have your ego that says, oh yeah, I better fit in. I better be my old self. Well, I think that's that therein lies the thing, because this fitting in idea is that no one's idea of true happiness is the same as somebody else's. And what is happiness to some person is exactly in abstinence. And what is happiness to another person is the absolute opposite. But as humans, there is that tribal thing sometimes where, you know, because the perceived majority are doing something, then everybody should be doing it. And that's used as a sort of fear tactic even, isn't it? In sort of manipulation of populations around the world is to say, well, you're going to be the, you're the odd ones out. You're the pariahs. You're this, whether you eat meat, you don't eat meat, whether you drink, you don't drink, whatever it is. It's that kind of separation and humans generally feel that separation. But if you can really sort of reflect and see what it is that you want to get out of your life that suits you and no one else, then it's only going to be particular to you. And that freedom to choose that path should be yours and yours alone, really. It takes a lot to firstly identify what that is. And we're lucky enough to have something like surfing that's so kind of rewarding as a means to kind of also live a lifestyle that's a little bit, whatever you might, you, let's call it healthy, wellness, whatever. But you've got to find what that is for you. Mm. And I think there's an element actually, just on that point, drinking, because it's been a companion of mine for a lot of my adult life. And I, I manage it pretty well and I still like it, but I certainly am not as profligate as I used to be, not kind of hammering the booze as hard as I ever used to. You're right. Some people along that journey, and I've got friends who've given it up because they've su suffered from alcoholism. And it's those guys that really see and are able to articulate this idea that sometimes it's not you that has a problem with, let's say, whatever vice it is, but in, in this instance, drinking. It's not you that has the problem with that, that you're not drinking anymore. It's the people around you. Mm. Because what it does is it shines a light sometimes on their lifestyle because you're not going along with that narrative anymore. That's not you anymore. And of course, as humans... We should be free to grow and evolve and change and develop over our, our whole lives because we do. We don't, we're not necessarily into the same things we were into when we were 13 years old that we are now. Whatever age you are, 30, 35, 45, 50, 80, this kind of evolution of spirit and soul and actually finding your true self is, is an incredible thing. Big time. And there's a Carl Jung quote, and I won't quote it exactly because I'm terrible at that. I'll uh, paraphrase, should I say. But Carl Jung, very, very famous psychologist from back in the... Ooh, again, my dates are terrible today. But I just know Carl, Carl yeah. Jung yeah. spelt... J-U-N-G. Uh, exactly. And it's that the happiest people in the world have a harmony between the inner and outer world. And that's it. Whatever's going on inside you is being manifested on the outside. That's it. Like you said, it could be vegan diet for one person. It could be, you know, teetotal for someone else. It could be to actually have quite a lot of drink and and do fine on it and or a lot a lot of protein and meat and we talked a lot about the nuances of food or even sugary treats someone might be able to have like a pudding every night and feel amazing you know whatever but if, if there's a knowing inside that you're not quite right ignoring that is to not lean into the happiness that you deserve yeah yeah that's the happiness that we all deserve because Life is so short and it is a goal. And then, geez, this is a totally a personal thing. The goal of it, that is life, is to enjoy it. And it sounds like a strange because people go, oh, good. The goal, the goal is to achieve this and do that. And, and you go, yeah, for what? And they say, oh, because um, it's right. You know, and you go, yeah, what's the rightness for? 
well, because, you know, with otherwise the world wouldn't you know do well. It wouldn't be enough of this and there wouldn't be enough of this. And you, yeah, yeah. So where are you going with this? So if you keep going, mm-hmm. does it make you feel good? Well, yeah. Okay, right. So <laughs> it's all back to that same place, inner and outer worlds. Um, if you inside yeah. have something and you're manifesting it on the outside, then bang, bang. But if it's who you're doing it for is who the first question. Who you're doing it for. Do you know, I watched the thing the other night uh, because there's been no surf and I've not been able to travel. So I was sitting at home watching this thing on Netflix about Jim Carrey when he played Andy Kaufman, who was Andy Kaufman, the American listeners will know, was a, a kind of quite an anarchic comedian. His most famous role probably was in Taxi with um, Danny DeVito and all those all those guys in that sort of, what, 70s, 80s sitcom, uh, US sitcom. And Jim Carrey, you know, found quite serious fame and fortune in the mask and you know Ace Ventura and Dumb and Dumber and you know as I think the highest paid actor of his generation and all that sort of jazz but wasn't really happy and although he's achieved his dream he in this documentary where he reflects on playing Kaufman and, and he lives this kind of anarchic life while he does it he goes deep into character so he won't see himself as Jim Carrey while he's playing this character he sees himself as Andy Kaufman and no one else and the people around him can't deal with that. But what he says is, as soon as you're able to sort of, and this is why Kaufman was one of his heroes, is to not care what other people think of you, to feel free that you can be whatever you want to be without that judgment being levied on you. You're totally free. So you're free from the system. That fear is gone. And when you lose fear, you can do whatever you like. That was his point. But he made one point in this thing which really stuck with me. It's the only time I saw him get emotional when he's talking about his father and his dad doing this job just to provide money and to do a job that he didn't really love. And Jim Carrey reflected on this and said, you can spend your life failing at something you don't love doing, then sticking to it. Or you can try and go and do something and fail at something that you love. And I thought that was a really nice line where he, he was basically saying, yeah, for the sake of other people and the image that you want to project to the world, you can do the thing that you think is right, but you might be deeply unhappy. And you might be good at it, but you might suck at it. But at least if you go and try the thing that you always wanted to do, whatever that might be, surf, sing, dance, paint, be a banker, whatever. I mean, there's no judgment here on that either. Could be anything. And you love doing that. Well, you might suck at it, but if you love at it, if you love doing it, well, you're already winning because there's joy in that. And as soon as you put joy in something, it gives you joy back. And regardless of whether other people think you're good at what you're doing or not, that's irrelevant in a way. That's In fact, that's totally not the point. Don't worry about what people think. It's pretty heavy watching if you're not a Jim Carrey. I remember fan. it. I've seen it. It's a very good documentary. Yeah. We'll put that in show notes. It's a what was it called? It was a Becoming Kaufman. Be- or? Becoming Kaufman or something. Is that, was it? Yeah, something I think like that. It is. Yeah, it's very good. It's or a, being Andy or something. We'll put it. We'll put it in there. Jim Carrey's a, a, amazing. Well, he's as art, an actor and his, what he's done. Well, he's got range a of, philosophical of, arc as well, hasn't he? Of yes. Going from like you know rock and roll actor, highest, yeah. was the highest paid in his generation, to really having done the Truman Show, thinking. What is this? Yeah. Who am I? Who is Jim mm. Carrey? And, you know, it freaks people out, but I like where he's coming at. It's a very, very, he poses some great questions about the existence of, well, about life, really. 100%. Um, and Dumb and Dumber is a great film. <laughs> it's right up there in my top three. Yeah. Dumb and Dumber. And the Truman Real. Show. Truman Show. Oh, again, yeah. Truman Show. What a movie. Yeah. If you've not seen that, please, please watch the Truman Show. Well, a lot of these movies are sort of almost so good. scary predictions of the future, right? Yeah. I was going to say this in... Cause it's what, Dumb and Dumber? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Look at us two sat in the studio. <laughs> Me and you. <laughs> well, good day, mate. Um, Check another shrimp on the barbie. Yeah, exactly. Same number three. Mind, body, stoke. Things Liam and I have been working with the mind and the body. To raise the stoke. For me, it's been about repairing my body after putting it through 14 days 
in a row of surfing on one of those days, surf three times. So 17 surfs, yeah. 14 days. And we discussed this last week in, in the show. We talked about what a great swell run it was and really, really good fun. But geez, boy, did I start to pay for it. On Monday, felt fluey. Tuesday, like, ooh, aching joints. Not just aching joints, like my muscles hurt. Yeah. Like really not good. And it was only really sort of like Wednesday, Thursday started coming good. And so it really sort of affected the start of my week a little bit. And it really flies in the face of what we talk about on the show, which is is to not overindulge. But shit, if I've got a weakness, that's it's surfing. And so it's just being human and being able to go, okay. And it was about accepting it, you know, because would I have done it and would I do it again? Yeah. (laughs) But we've all got those weaknesses. I think the thing with it is that if it had become significant, the aftermath of like trying to recover and just all these free radicals and getting little colds and flus and just little not feeling great and basically over-exercising, if it had really spilled into true chaos, then I think I would like, whoa, got to rein that in for next time. So I was able to manage it, but it was about basically in having not felt great, upping my yoga, upping my relaxation work, taking on a bit less. It was also positive too, because it taught me that when my body is feeling a certain way, I am able to really like go, whoa, I need to slow down. Shit. Now, fair enough, I got myself into that problem in the first place. I don't think I'd have felt quite so rough if I hadn't surfed that much. It was intense, actually. But it was just the intensity of it too. Like we were just paddling nonstop on me. Like each of those surfs Mm. was a constant, Mm. constant paddle or a wipeout or the wave of your life. Like it was like that kind of condition. It was that kind of surf, wasn't it? Yeah. And I felt the same. Like, you know, Um, I should have, should have, could have, would have, but... Rest you was, could have. Rest was a big component that was required during that period of time. And I actually can almost identify the two days. It was the last two days where I thought, I'm knackered here. I'm getting up early. I'm going in. And then my swim training on last month. Oh, yeah. What was that like? It was bonkersly hard. You know, it was so intense. And, then, <laughs> and, and I was, because we start with some warm-ups. I was knackered after the warm-up. <laughs> and I've still got like... 1500 meters to go and we're getting into the heavy stuff and i'm like holy shit this and there's another guy there who was surfing probably as much as but he's a lot younger as us and he was knackered as well i could see and he's just thinking the body sometimes just needs to to have a rest so yeah this week for me has been about a lot of repair and relaxation i've laid well off the kettlebells as much as i can you know although i've been roped into doing some decorating which is quite intense on the body but it's only now I'm starting to come out. I felt really, yeah, a bit zombified at the beginning mm. of the week. Yeah, I've not lifted anything. Yesterday was the first time I did some kettlebells in ooh, a couple of weeks mm. almost. Because during that swell run, I wasn't doing anything. Because I think, you know, if you're listening to this and you want that kind of advice on, you know, strength training and, and whatever around surfing is to really just almost, if you're going through a real swell run or a trip or whatever, it's just lay off the training completely. There's no point in in adding on and trying to make strength gains whilst you're going out surfing yeah. doesn't seem to make any sense to me at all. So if I'm helping clients on that or myself, it's just like, right, okay, if you're in surf mode, go. Surf, surf, surf. Goes without saying, though, that mobility is still there. And not just there, but there like three times as much because you get so stiff and tight from surfing. In particular, the groin. It's the hips in surfing. Something is just laying on a board, arching your back, doing little twists and turns, trying to snap up to your feet and all these things. It just makes people's groins so, so tight. So if you can just open up your hips, yeah. open up your hips relentlessly while you're doing lots of surfing, you're going to be able to maintain that better posture when you're on your board, you surf a bit better and all these things. But do not do not try and add training to that as well. I think some people are like, oh, no, I've still got my training session I've got to do to keep that going it's like no 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 no. just back off that until you get a flat spell and know your body because when you feel yeah the times you feel like it's not the right time to do whatever it is you're going to do don't do it yeah 
it's an instinctive thing telling you to not. I mean, that's when yeah. I've had my worst injuries is when I've done yes. things that I kind of go, oh, I don't fancy that today. Boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. You've got to be able to listen to And then you're out for ages. And then you're out. Take number four. Yeah. Surf media. When I watch surf media stuff, I seem to get the same theme happen most times. And it's something we've discussed a lot on the show. There are parts of the world where it's sunnier, it's bluer water. It's, yeah, it's sharkier. Fuck yeah. Overall, it is way, way more conducive to getting better as a surfer and doing more turns and getting more barrels and floaters and gouges off the lip and riding smaller boards and just, it's more effortless. It is. Mm -hmm. There's more effort in other ways, you know, dealing with fear of like shark reefs and sharks, other surfers who are much more competitive than where, you know, we might be from, let's say in the UK, you know, but I was watching Wooly TV, this guy called Wooly, who is an Aussie, Aussie? Yeah, he must be an Aussie over in West Oz and he does board reviews and I just love watching board reviews because I find them fascinating. Yeah. Always learn something new out of a board review. And I was just watching the way he was surfing and he had come in from what he considered like quite a junky surf. <laughs> <laughs> and I had that real moment of looking at it and I was just like, the fuck am I doing living here? What am I doing living here? And it's like that old self, it's all just thoughts, it's all ego, it's all nonsense of go live where you really want to live for surf. That was always a thing I had. Mm. I had it in my 20s. Go live where you really want to live for surf and let everything else fall into place. And if I had chosen to move to Australia, being the way I am, glass half full, things would have worked out. It would have been ace and amazing. But no happier because I got to surf more often on pumping waves. Because we talked about this before, we, you just adapt. Everything good or bad that ever happens to us, we adapt to. So you could be no happier. It's just that. When you're going through a flat spell or you're going through a period, not even a period, but you're surfing the waves you surf and you sort of compare them to the waves that other people get to surf as their daily waves or weekly waves or whatever, it is a bit like, oh, fuck. Well, it sucks you into... It's surf, pure comparison vortex. Surf stuff. media is a comparison vortex. Big time. But I watched the, my surf media. I've got film recommendation as well, if anybody fancies it. But the, the surf media one I was in was, again, Mason Ho. But Mason Ho surfing with his sister, Coco Ho. Those two... They are just, they make it look easy. They make very difficult things look easy. But if I could surf as well as Coco's little finger, I'd be having a good time. This sort of grace, style and ability to pop, for Mason particularly as well, to get up and into barrels that look impossible to get into and still come out the other end. And the way that he rides them over incredibly shallow rocks and reefs and all that sort of thing is mind-blowing. His style is um, epic but so is coco incredible surfers you know obviously from a surfing dynasty but yeah check that out on youtube it's pretty good stuff it's the most recent one he's the kind of guy that just seems to appear out of a barrel like that's that's yeah. the kind of guy he is you just go oh oh it's a close-up yeah Boop. yeah pops out there which reminds me of sort of i mean it's reasonably similar but you remember in jim carrey you remember in ace ventura when he starts yeah. crawling out the rhino's arsehole <laughs> Do you remember that scene? I've blocked that from my, you, my you mind. Must, you <laughs> must remember it. They're all like, oh, look. Oh, the mother's giving birth. And then Jim, or Ace, yeah. he's in the arse. He starts crawling out. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> and he like pulls his head out. This is how Mason appears. He just, it's like he just appears like a newborn rhino coming out of a mother's arsehole. <laughs> not that you give birth out of an arsehole. I'm sure he'd be thrilled to hear you describe the, his surfing the, as such. <laughs> he's like, oh, well, I've never heard of my surfing being described like that. He'd be falling back by a loss of a Hey, I've heard these guys again. It's like Will Foster's. He just called me a rhino coming out of a rhino's ass. <laughs> um, and he doesn't even know what an animal comes yeah, out of. Uh, my God. Yeah, but that's great stuff. And because it was Bonfire Night, V for Vendetta. If you want to watch a mm. scary 2006 movie, 
Just a really interesting sort of 1984 fear vibes, all that sort of thing, but quite prescient sort of prediction of some things. It's, it's weird, but it sort of ties in with Guy Fawkes and Bonfire Night, which is how we started things today, isn't it? So, yeah. Nice. I hope everybody's had a good one. Good one, guys. See you next nice time. Nice to see you. Bye.